It is Friday the 24th of January and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, there is a record number of Brazilians moving into Portugal. We find out why. Then Monocle senior editor Robert Bounds on why the media coverage of the World Economic Forum in Davos leaves room for improvement. While Bloomberg and the BBC might enjoy much of the media access at Davos, the World Economic Forum is often used as nothing more than a sandwich board for the beliefs of myriad chippy outlets chucking what they believe to be truth bombs over the walls of the elite. I am Marcus Hippie in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. New figures reveal that there has been a sudden spike of Brazilians moving to Portugal, but why is that? Monaco's Fernando Augusto Pacheco has been following this story. Fernando, what are the numbers like and what is behind this boom? Well, according to the Portuguese authorities, in 2019, there's been 150,854 Brazilians living legally in Portugal. That's a spike of 43% compared to the previous year. And of course, they're not counting here the number of uh, illegal immigrants as well, which uh, is predicted to be much higher. It's very interesting, Marcos, because I spoke to Cintia de Paula. She's from an NGO, Casa do Brasil, which is in Lisbon, is one of the biggest there. She told me that the type of people that are coming to Portugal Portugal, this, the type of Brazilians that are coming, is very different from the wave that we had in the early 2000s, which was simply economical reasons. It was usually a male, uh, a young male coming here to Portugal to get some money and, and to return to Brazil. Now it's very different. She sees a kind of a more diverse look. So, for example, there's a lot of families that they come together. Sometimes they're even a bit older and they're looking for a quality of life and to escape because, you know, Brazil can be a fairly violent country as well. And Portugal has a very good image in Brazil at the moment because of, you know, their economy has been improving in recent years, for example, as well. So, Fernando, you are from Brazil originally yourself. So how would you describe the way Brazilians see Portugal then? Besides violence, what is that quality of life they hope to find in Portugal? Well, I think Portugal also has been quite present in Brazilian universities as well. So they were trying to attract Brazilian students. And when it comes to immigration, Marcos, it's interesting because the Portuguese government, contrary to most European governments, they actually made it easier to immigrate to the country. Of course, they have some restrictions, but for example, even if you have some sort of Portuguese ancestry, it's much easier, you know, to go there and live. I think even if you are more than 60 and if you have, you know, a certain amount of money that you earn, it's also easy. So it's interesting because most countries are making it harder and harder. But Portugal, remember, they have a very low fertility rate. They probably will need this new migration. It would be probably quite beneficial for them. In particular, consider Portugal's growing elderly population. Fernando, why do you think this is happening now? Well, besides some of the reasons I've already mentioned, uh, when I was talking to Cintia as well, she said not everyone, uh, I, I would like to emphasize that, but some people are not very happy on how Brazil is going politically. So she said that actually she saw a lot of activists who are anti-Bolsonaro uh, moving to Portugal as well. So that had an effect but again, I'm stressing not all of them, but clearly there's been kind of a little bit of a of a boom on this part of Brazilian society. What are your own experiences? I know you went home to Sao Paulo just last month. When you speak to people over there, are there many people considering leaving Brazil and settling abroad? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, not only to Portugal, but to United States, to other European countries, or even other Latin American countries. I think Brazilians, they want that. And, and there's been a lot of, because a lot of Brazilians, they have European heritage. So, 
a lot of them are looking how they can get their Portuguese passports, Italian passports, French passports. Clearly, you see a move in this direction. So there's no reason to expect that this boom of Brazilians moving to Portugal would go away anytime soon. I don't think so. Monaco's Fernando Augusto Pacheco, thank you very much. Up next, Monaco's Robert Bound has something to say about the way the media has reported on Davos this year. So that was Davos. Notable this year for President Trump making an early re-election stump speech, the Prince of Wales being honoured by an audience with Greta Thunberg, and some excellent skiing conditions utilised by the few, not the many, on such a busy week. In this century, the mainstream media knows what it thinks about the World Economic Forum. The world's CEOs and central bankers are the elite, security precautions are a ring of steel, and big business and environmental activism are staged against each other in a battle royal. Has Davos always been reported in this way? The short answer is no. Previously, the World Economic Forum was an event largely of interest to the financial press and international newspapers of record. It's now covered or commented on by a universe of media using it as a mirror of their own sense of importance. Much of this new breed of coverage comes from a currently fashionable, roughly standardised, sceptical point of view that Davos man needs to be taken down a peg. No one's saying that mining doesn't leave a hole in the ground, but learning a little more might help kids. I'm reminded of the Tim Robbins character in Team America World Police that lampoons both US foreign policy and its celebrity critics. Let me tell you how it works. The corporations sit in their corporation buildings, you see, and they're all corporation-y, and they might make money, and ugh. While Bloomberg and the BBC might enjoy much of the media access at Davos, the World Economic Forum is often used as nothing more than a sandwich board for the beliefs of myriad chippy outlets chucking what they believe to be truth bombs over the walls of the elite. For decades, Davos has prospered as a neutral stage for political theatre, Yasser Arafat and Shimon Peres taking to the stage hand in hand, East and West German leaders meeting just weeks after the fall of the Berlin Wall, Nelson Mandela and F.W. de Klerk shaking hands for the first time outside of South Africa. Memorable, well-managed events, definitive of their decades. Protesters and opinionated anchors won't scare the forum out of its mountain stronghold, but a little more rigour and reporting might help the odd angry media outlet to explain the way the world works, rather than simply wishing it worked another way. My thanks to Rob. Then, elsewhere on today's agenda, four weeks' updates on the Wuhan coronavirus from Chinese state media outlets had been slow and hard to come by. That left coverage to the international community until this week. As with the number of infections doubling overnight, state outlets have suddenly sprung into action. In fact, they are now providing more robust and time-sensitive reporting than their international counterparts, both from the ground of the outbreak and beyond. For example, one of the state outlets reported yesterday that doctors in Wuhan believe the virus may come to infect more than 6,000 people and potentially have more lethal results than its mother virus, SARS. Such reports are an indication that vigorous journalism in China is possible if only official barriers weren't put in the way. Wednesday night saw Jean-Paul Gaultier take his final bow at Paris Couture Week. 
Gosier's career was launched in 1970, and over the years he's become known for injecting his designs and shows with a sense of fun and theatricality, and for blurring the lines between men's and women's clothing and high-low culture. He has launched successful fragrance lines, hosted long-running television show Eurotrash, and dressed every celebrity from Eurovision winner Conchita Wurst to Madonna. His flamboyant looks and cheeky humor will be missed in an industry in which it is increasingly rare for designers to be outspoken, although he has promised that he will stick around in some capacity. Watch this space, he's bound to surprise us. And us institutions can be intimidating for the younger generations among us, but there is one Canadian museum aiming on being more accessible by handing off its curation to aspiring art students. This Saturday, Toronto's Art Gallery of Ontario will host its third installment of All Hours, an all-day, all-ages event with musical performances, art installations and live storytelling, all around the wintry theme of Hygge, the Danish way of creating coziness. The programming is by students from Okadu, one of Canada's premier art universities. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I am Markus Hippi. The Monocle Minute returns on Monday.